0: This is the seventh and final sermon in our series on Romans 8. One writer has said that as we reach the end of the chapter, we're climbing a grand staircase. With each of these questions that he's asking, he's taking step upon step up this grand staircase. And tonight we reach top step. So we read Romans 8 from verse 35 in the Pew Bibles. That's page 1135. Romans 8, verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Paul asks, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written in Psalm 44, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is God's word. So we've reached top step. And as we end this series in Romans 8, what is the aftertaste that is left in our mouth? What's that song that's buzzing about in your head that you can't get shot of? What's the doggy bag that Paul hands you? Well, three times in this passage, you are told he loves you. I look three times. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again in verse 37, him who loved us. And in verse 39, the love of God. Three times, you are loved by God. Christ has loved you you leave Romans 8 remembering or he has loved me before I loved him he loves me now and he lives to ever love me it's good news God loves you the love of the father preeminently seen in him giving his son and the love of Christ Jesus preeminently seen in him giving himself he loves you he loves you he loves you And so he asks this question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Why does he finish on that question? Why is that top step? I think it is because that is the Christian's greatest anxiety. The Christian can say, okay, you could separate me from anything and anyone, but let me not be separated from the love of Christ. Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, anyone who loves his father or his mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now that is provocative language. But he's saying that for the Christian, Jesus is their first love. He is the greatest love. Therefore, it's the greatest anxiety. Who can separate me from this love? His own disciples gave the testimony in Matthew 19. Listen, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. And so if they've left everything to follow him, were they to be separated from him, what would they have left? Nothing. Again, Paul would say in Philippians 3, I consider everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. If knowing Jesus, loving Jesus is surpassingly great, could there be a greater anxiety for the Christian? Who could separate me from this love? You know, it's, a, it's a good question to ask if you're wondering, Am I a Christian? Do I really know what it means to be a Christian? Uh, this will be your greatest anxiety. Could I ever be separated from the love of Christ? it's interesting as you read these things in verse 35 shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword it is not that these things are the anxiety for the Christian I think I've always read this as thinking oh these are things that worry me trouble hardship persecution nakedness famine danger sword but actually in this passage Paul is saying the anxiety is not these things in and of themselves. The anxiety is what? Can these things separate me from the love of Christ? And so tonight we're going to see how Paul answers this question. Two simple points that Paul makes. He's going to tell us, firstly, the inevitability of suffering. And then secondly, the, in, uh, the inseparability of his love. So two things. First, the inevitability of suffering. Second, the inseparability of his love. Let's read verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? Paul is such a compassionate pastor writing to these Christians in Rome. He knows what are the anxieties in their hearts and what are the things that they are Facing. And maybe these things are their present struggles, but they are certainly the past experience of God's people. And so in verse 36, he quotes Psalm 44. We read it earlier on. He says, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now remember this progression in that Psalm. You gave us victory. You gave us as sheep to be slaughtered. For your sake we face death. Actually, that is a weak translation. It is, for your sake we are being killed all day long. The point of the psalm is that it was because of their faithfulness to God that they were suffering. And what is Paul's point in quoting it? Suffering has always been the lot of God's people. Faithfulness to God normally means suffering for God. Uh, we are the anomaly currently in this world where Christians are not suffered uh, are not suffering. Uh, We're actually the anomaly in this nation, in this century. Normality for the Christian life is suffering. So you may have heard of this lady in uh, Sudan is it who's been arrested and due to be executed for uh, apostasy from Islam she became a Christian now of course we must be saddened by that we shouldn't be surprised we shouldn't be shocked because across Christian history martyrdom has been very normal we are the anomaly it is no new thing But suffering for God's people is normal. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. His love is sure. But suffering is also sure. And though God's love assures us of liberation from suffering in the new creation, it does not exclude us from suffering in this creation. If you look down in verse 37, we'll come to this in a moment. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors. That is in hardship, in persecution, in nakedness, in famine, in danger, in sword. It is in all these things the Christian knows God's love. Not exempt from these things. For the Christian, suffering is inevitable. Uh, We see this in the Christian life. There's some uh, verses here. Uh, Flick with me to Hebrews i got your Bible still open. It's on page 1210, 1210. I just want to make this point from Scripture. We could make it from history. Let me just show you in the pages of Scripture. Hebrews 11 from verse 35. What is the normal experience of a Christian life? Halfway through verse 35. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced cheers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground, suffering inevitable. Come with me to 1 Corinthians 4 go on the pew bibles page 1146 not only true of the old testament people from hebrews true of jesus's apostles 1 corinthians 4 verse 8 paul shows the irony of uh, christians who are actually bucking this trend verse 8 already you have all you want already you have become rich you have become kings and without us How I wish you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me, God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. We're fools for Christ. You're so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're so strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. One more place, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Not only true of the Old Testament people and of the apostles, but of Paul himself, the writer of Romans. This is page 1165. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 21. What anyone else declares, uh, dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I don't feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn suffering for the christian is inevitable it is normal and we do not need to look further than the lord jesus himself he says in john 15 if the world hates you keep in mind it hated me first if they persecuted me they will persecute you also suffering is inevitable and now a quick application at this point You don't have to turn there, but we must think of Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, the writer says, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. That's a command to us as Christians. Across the world right now, Christian brothers and sisters are in prison and are being persecuted. And so what is the command? Remember them. Isn't it true that we're so kind of self-focused and turned in upon our own little world of comfort that we never take time to think of and to pray for our family who are right now persecuted? I'm so self-centered. And yet, in remembering that this is the inevitable lot of Christians, We must not take our relative safety as an excuse not to remember those who are right now in peril. You know, as like sheep, we build our own little pen, forgetting that our brothers are in the slaughterhouse, that our sisters are facing death all day long. Remember them, the writer to the Hebrews says. Uh, And in remembering them, it reminds us of what is very normal for Christianity. The inevitability Suffering. Now, a question comes out of this um, in Paul's context. It must lead us to think okay, if suffering is inevitable, will that inevitably lead to me being separated from the love of Christ? Does that make sense as a question? The inevitability of suffering, does that lead to the inevitability of me falling away? Do you know you could make an argument from the Bible? Yes. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Jesus tells a story of a farmer who's casting seed, and the seed represents God's word. And he, he sows some seed on rocky ground, and we're told the seed springs up. That is, a person receives the word with joy. But when trouble and persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. So trouble and persecution, two words in Romans 8 verse 35 that inevitably leads someone to fall away from Christ. Uh, most of us in this room have probably seen that in action. Seen someone receive God's word with real excitement and real joy and yet when inevitable suffering comes, they fall away. So will the inevitability of suffering mean that I will fall away from Jesus? Look at Paul's answer in Romans 8, verse 37. First word. No. (laughs) Paul is sometimes really complex. Here he is wonderfully simple. Nay, I say. No. In fact... It is the exact opposite. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The inevitability of suffering will not lead to us falling away far from it. It will lead to this more than conquering. Far from causing us to fall in the context of Romans 8, these very things turn out for our good. Romans eight twenty-eight. Now, we can all say we've seen people who have fallen away like that at Parable of the Sword, and we'll come back to answer that question. But actually, we can also see in the Bible where those who suffer triumph, that those who go into persecution, God works for their good. So we could go to someone like Joseph, a man who suffered the reproach of his own family who ended up in prison, and yet at the end of the life, what did he say? Genesis 50, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended this for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We could think of Job. Job who had all kinds of suffering, death in his family, bodily afflictions, the reproach of all his friends, the loss of his business. And yet at the end of the story we read, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. We could read of the Psalmist, remarkable words in Psalm 119, verse 71. It was for it was good for me to be afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. We could think of Paul himself, uh, in his weakness, a thorn in his flesh. What, is he, what does God say? My grace is sufficient for you, because my power is made perfect. In weakness. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors to use these stories. In harm, the triumph of good. In hardship, the triumph of blessing. In affliction, the triumph of knowing God. In weakness, the triumph of powerful grace. But actually, again, we need to look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is the reminder that the stage of suffering is the scene of God's glory, that the set of persecution is the display of his victory. If the suffering of the cross was what brought us into God's love, we need not fret that suffering will be the thing that takes us away from it. No, Paul says. Uh, Suffering does not mean that we are apart from God's love. John Calvin's got a great illustration for this. Listen to this in his commentary on Romans. For as clouds, though they obscure the clear brightness of the sun, do not yet wholly deprive us of its light, so God in adversities sends forth through the darkness the rays of his favor, lest temptation should overwhelm us with despair. Great image. Clouds hide the sun from our eyes. But that does not deprive us from all its benefits. And though the clouds of suffering may, in some sense, hide God from us, that does not exclude his love from us. Suffering is inevitable, but his love is inseparable from us. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So how do we deal with the parable of the sore thing? At what's going on there when inevitable suffering leads to people falling away? Well, let me use the language of 1 John 2, verse 19, where John writes, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Uh, Those who in persecution fall away show that actually they never truly received Christ. In the first place. Because in the context of Romans 8, all those he foreknew and predestined and called and justified and glorified, that is in verse 33, those whom God has called. Nothing will separate them from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Inseparable. Nothing shall separate us from God's love. And so look at Paul's words in verse thirty-eight. I am convinced. That's a great word. And it doesn't come from a naive rookie who's never suffered. Remember 1 Corinthians 4, he's been at the end of the chain, full for Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, all that list of things that he has suffered. He's got a CV full of scars. And yet even from that experience, he can say, I am convinced that all these things, neither death nor life, Angels nor demons, present or future, any power, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Love of God is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of the Creator. Uh, I've quoted a lot in this series from Octavius Winslow. Let's have one final quote. Uh, Accounted though we are as sheep for the slaughter. Yet our great shepherd, himself slain for the sheep, guards his flock and has declared that no one shall pluck them out of his hand. Do you notice the phrase? In all these things we are more than conquerors through what? Through him who loved us. It is his love for us that keeps us safe in his hand, not our love for It's not our faith. It couldn't be because what is faith? In its essence, it's saying I can't do this. And so it is the love of Christ for us. He is alive. He is interceding. And so he is powerfully keeping us. Nothing can separate us from him. Just one of these things from the list to illustrate it. Neither death. Or life. Death is the great separator, isn't it? All of us in the room will have experienced the separation of husband from wife, or the mother that brought us into this world, or maybe even a son or a daughter who's passed away. Death is the great separator. And yet for the Christian, it does not separate us from God's love. In fact, it takes us closer to it. Because at the moment of death, we are with the one who loves us. Death cannot separate us from God's love. In fact, it brings us ever closer. And so, Christian, brother or sister, you need these truths. Because this makes all the difference in your Christian life. Suffering is inevitable. You can take this list. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Uh, we will face some if not all of these things. And yet you realize what our anxiety must be. For the Christian, they don't actually need to worry about these things. And uh, we need to reorder our anxieties and say, actually my only worry is that could these things separate me from Christ? Christ is more important than my health. Christ is more important than my comfort. He's more important even than my family. But actually, the answer comes back, can anything separate me from Christ's love? No. We can have complete assurance in all these things. And let me just tease this a little bit further. Maybe even it will lead us to take a life of risk culturally we're very we like to play safe don't we we've kind of got this cultural cautiousness I like my comfort I like my security I'll ensure everything but actually when you have this security maybe it needs to lead to us actually saying I want to take a little bit of a risk sometimes for the sake of Christ one example a case study come with me to Acts chapter 21 We've got time for this. Acts 21, uh, page 1118. Again, a case study in the, in the Apostle Paul. When you get that this love is inseparable, you're willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel. Acts 21, verse 10. After we, uh, in fact, yeah, let's go from verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea coming over to us he took paul's belt that's paul who wrote romans tied his own hands and feet with it and said the holy spirit says in this way the jews of jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the gentiles so he says listen paul you go to jerusalem you're in trouble yeah what does paul say when we heard this uh, we and the people pleaded with paul not to go to jerusalem paul answered why are you weeping and breaking my heart I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. I'm willing not only to be bound, but I'm willing to die for the sake of the gospel. When you realize that you are inseparable from God's love, you will take risks for the sake of the gospel. Uh, ask the question when was the last time I took a risk based on this love of God we can very often play it safe Uh, let me speak to you quickly if you're not a Christian maybe you're looking into these things on the first hand we want to make it really clear to you actually the Christian life is not a kind of easy street all the way to heaven the promise of Jesus is that there is a cost to discipleship but the promise with that cost is that suffering for Jesus now is actually a joy. Because it's fellowship with Jesus and his sufferings. And actually, suffering momentarily now is better than suffering eternity, eternally in our sense. I wonder if I was to ask you, you know, what are you most anxious about? Maybe it would be some of these things trouble, hardship, um, Maybe the present, maybe the future, maybe life, maybe, probably death. Romans 8 would say, do you know what your greatest anxiety should be? That one day you will stand before the judgment throne of God. And you will give an account for your life. And Romans 8 is really clear that actually those who stand in and of themselves are condemned. You fail before the bar of God's judgments. And yet Romans 8 is equally clear that the Lord Jesus has come to pay the ultimate sacrifice for your sins. He is condemned that we might be set free. He dies with all of our sins so that we might live in all of his perfect righteousness. And he offers himself for you tonight so that in all these anxieties you might say, Do you know what? I don't need to worry about them because I've got God's love. I wonder if you know that tonight. We're going to hear a little bit of the impact it has on uh, one life, uh, two lives later on. I wonder if you can say, I know this. I know God loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father.